Amen. Thank you so much. Our worship band always leading us to the throne of God's grace and his mercy to us. Uh, grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And a blessed Advent to you all. And Merry Christmas to you all as well if I don't see you until after. Uh, we look at a familiar story today, a familiar person in the story, familiar people in the story. And when we hear their names and read their story, it's what is familiar about Christmas. But sometimes the familiar, while it can be comforting and predictable, the familiar can also be sort of confining and restricting and preventing us to see new things in the familiar. You might say the unfamiliar within the familiar. Now, St. John's is a Lutheran church, right? I'm a Lutheran pastor, and of course, I'm a Christian pastor, but part of this big Christian family includes a lot of different siblings. And I am, and probably most of you, are part of that Lutheran part of the family, which means there are certain things in our family that are familiar to us, to us and some things that are unfamiliar. There are certain things that are familiar to our siblings that are Catholic or Baptist or Presbyterian or Pentecostal or whatever, but they're unfamiliar to us. Now, when I was learning to be a pastor, which uh, I still am doing, by the way, and especially this year, man. But anyway, in my pastoral training, I didn't get any hands-on experience with funerals. No one died on my internship. Uh, and so I just didn't have the practical experience to know how to do certain things when it comes to leading a family uh, in, a, in a memorial and a funeral and the whole process. And it's like anything. Nothing teaches you like hands-on experience, right? So I went out to be a pastor, and my first month into the job, a member of the church died. And they wanted to have an open mic at the beginning of the memorial service. And I was like, okay, that sounds good. Nowadays, I know that you probably should reserve that whole open mic thing for the reception. And if anyone's going to speak at the service, maybe the family picks one or two people. And it's just a little more orderly and respectful and also time sensitive. So here I was, tons of people gathered in this little tiny church. And up comes this guy. He grabs the microphone and he stands up in the altar area, probably where he shouldn't have been standing. And he lets us know that he's a Catholic brother in the Lord as we're standing in this Lutheran church. And he says, I always wanted to do this. And he starts singing Ave Maria like he was Pavarotti or Beyonce or something. Except he couldn't sing at all. He was way out of pitch. The tone and the key and the melody were so far off. It was pretty terrible. Inside, I'm going, oh man, okay, this is a Lutheran church. We're not familiar with Ave Maria. We don't really sing Ave Maria, all right? We're not Catholic. And I'm thinking the old Lutherans out there in the pews, they're going to report me back to the holy city in St. Louis, and I will be defrocked. It was a good one-month run in the pastorate. Maybe the Catholics will take me in. Now, I don't want to get into the whole praying the saints thing and all that, but I was probably a little too freaked out about this guy singing Ave Maria. I was so concerned that he was off key and then he was out of place for a Lutheran church and how would I be viewed as a Lutheran pastor allowing this to happen? I was so, so concerned with all of this sort of stuff that I missed the significance of what he was doing and why he was doing it and how it related to this dear, sainted woman whom we were mourning for, we were grieving for, who we were remembering, celebrating her faith in Jesus Christ. You see, because 
we Lutherans, we sort of tend to overlook Mary and her faith. We get nervous about venerating her, so we go off the deep end on the other side, and we hardly ever revere her or honor her like we would do any other saint in the Bible, a la St. John, right? You see, in many ways, this out-of-key Catholic brother at the funeral, as he was grabbing the mic singing Ave Maria, he was giving high praise to the dearly departed woman, the matriarch that we were saying goodbye to. He was saying that her faith was like the faith of Mary, humbling and trusting of God. Which brings me back to that whole familiar Christmas, familiar story theme we've been working through this Advent. You see, I did an unfamiliar thing this past summer. In fact, I remember sitting out in my backyard, and I remember the date. It was actually August 1st. And I was outside reading my Bible, doing a devotion, reading the Christmas story. And maybe it was because I was reading this familiar story at an unfamiliar time that I saw something unfamiliar to me. I read through all of Luke chapter 1, and then later chapter 2, which we're going to read on Christmas Eve. You've got to come to our services online or on campus. But in Luke chapter 1, where our text comes from today, I noticed something that wasn't familiar about this story. It was unfamiliar to me. The people were familiar. Herod, Zechariah, and his wife Elizabeth, John the Baptist, the angel Gabriel, the Holy Spirit, and of course Mary, the Virgin Mary, and the announcement of the birth of Jesus, which we read in our text today. All familiar characters in the familiar story of Christmas, all leading up to Luke chapter 2. But in those 80 verses of Luke chapter 1, and I encourage you to read it today or this week, do it, it won't take you that long. As I was reading, I started playing the comparison game. Now, normally the comparison game is when we compare ourselves to others, right? Usually we look at other people's lives and we see what they have or what they've accomplished or how other people view them, and we wish we could be more like them or we wish we could have what they have. And social media these days, right, makes it even worse. We because we never post a bad day or an argument or when we just feel down and out. We only post the good stuff. Trust me, people don't have it that put together, yours truly included, all right? But I got to admit, I was playing the comparison game as I was reading Luke chapter 1 this summer. But I think it was good that I was playing it. I was comparing two people in the story, and then I was comparing myself to those two people in the story. And I saw some unfamiliar things in this familiar story. So our gospel reading that we just read a moment ago, it's the announcement of the birth of Jesus, right? It's huge. But right before that in Luke chapter 1, there's another birth announcement, announcing the birth of John the Baptist. Now, if we pay the uh, comparison game, we'll start to see some similarities and differences in those birth announcements. But they both, they have an introduction of like person's place and time. Then they have an angel showing up. Then a birth announcement is made. And then there's a reaction to that announcement. Now, the first story shows the angel Gabriel showing up to Zechariah and making an announcement about an unlikely birth. The second story, the angel shows up to Mary and makes an announcement to Mary about an unprecedented, miraculous virgin birth. It's interesting because the first story, you're introduced to what appears to be someone quite important, Important time in the midst of important circumstances, okay? Luke chapter 1, verse 5, it says this. In the time of Herod, a priest named Zechariah, his wife Elizabeth, a descendant 
of Aaron. All right, so you got a priest here, not just some ordinary guy, Zechariah. He's a religious leader. His wife is of priestly stock. Not only that, verse 6 says, both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. And then on top of that, since Zechariah is a priest, two times a year, he would go up to the holy temple. He would serve for a week, two weeks throughout the year. And on this one particular week, he is chosen by lot to go into the temple to burn incense. I mean, if you got to be chosen for that, I mean, it was just like a gift. It wasn't normal. It didn't happen. It only happened maybe one time in your life, if ever. So Zechariah is performing the greatest ministry of his priestly career, lighting the incense. And at that very special moment, God makes an announcement to him through the angel to this pious priest, announcement to him and his family and for the nation of Israel. The angel Gabriel speaks to him, and he says, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will bring back many to the Lord. He will go on before the Lord. Wow. That is a huge word. First, his wife, who couldn't have kids, is going to have a son. And this son is going to do great and mighty works for the Lord, preparing the way for the Lord. I mean, this is huge. It's, it's humbling. It's awesome. It's everything that Zechariah could dream of and want. Zechariah, the priest, the religious leader. And his response is quite shocking. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man. My wife is well along in years. This is Zechariah, a priest. He knows the scriptures. He knows how many times God has orchestrated unlikely births throughout history. And here, an angel speaks to him, and he's like, hmm, how can I be sure of this? Which is when, for me, the comparison game started to hit home, going in my direction. I was like, hmm, I'm a religious leader. I know the scriptures pretty well. I've been selected to be part of some pretty awesome and humbling ministries. Now, I haven't had the angel Gabriel appear to me in a dream, but I do have the word of God written down in his promises, which I read every day. And I remember writing in the column of my Bible this past summer, right next to where Zechariah says, how can I be sure of this? I wrote, I have this problem too. How can I be sure of this? At times I let the worries of the world, I let logic and reason of pragmatics, I let the status quo, I let the resignation of, well, that's just the way it is mentality get in the way of the great truths of God and the promises of his word and the knowledge that he is, incapable, he is capable of doing anything. Nothing is impossible with God. How many times I'm tempted to say, how can I be sure of this? You may have struggled that way too. You hear God's word to you, his promises to you, his love for you, and you say, how, how can I be sure of that? I have to admit that as I read this familiar story, it hit me in an unfamiliar way. I've never applied it to my life that way. Well, what did the angel say to Zechariah, the skeptical priest. 
Verse 19, the angel said to him, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you the good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, my words which will come true at their appointed time. Ouch! Zechariah, the priest, is given a big old piece of humble pie. When you compare his reaction to the angel to Mary's reaction to the angel, you see something quite different. Mary, she's not a priest. She doesn't serve in the temple. She wasn't chosen to offer up the incense to the Lord. She's not a religious leader. In fact, the only thing that Luke tells us about her is that she's engaged and twice mentions that she's a virgin, which means she's very young. And when the angel Gabriel says, greetings, Kyrie in Greek, Ave in Latin, that's where we get Ave Maria, greetings, Mary, Luke 1.28, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary, she wondered about these words. God is telling her that she is highly favored favored, which means highly graced, that God is with her, Mary, the teenager, the young one, the female. I mean, in a patriarchal society, the comparison between the elder male priest, Zechariah, and the young female nobody, Mary, I mean, it is radical. The angel in the temple told the priest Zechariah that his wife would become pregnant. Unlikely, but not unprecedented, especially when an angel tells you it. But the angel told Mary that she would give birth to the Son of the Most High, the Son of God, whose kingdom will never end. She's a virgin. She's not married. This has never happened before in the history of humanity. She doesn't ask, though. You notice she didn't ask, how can I be sure of this? She asks a question of process. She's like, well, how's it going to happen? A virgin birth is unprecedented. The angel says, by the Holy Spirit, by the power of the Most High, Mary, you're going to give birth to the Son of God. And this birth announcement is far beyond any birth announcement, far beyond the one given to Zechariah the priest. Yet Mary doesn't say, how can I be sure of this? In humble faith, in an abundance of trust, the young nobody virgin girl believes, trusts, and she doesn't try to fit God into her mind, into her rationale, into her story, into her narrative, into her experience, into her story, but she submits herself to him. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Amazing. I got to admit, I was playing the comparison game. I want to be like Mary. I want to have that kind of faith. I want to have that sort of trust. It made me want to grab the mic and sing like Pavarotti, Ave Maria. Never since I read that this past summer, I noticed that difference. I've been reminded of the fact that sometimes the greatest faith, the greatest wisdom is found in the marginalized nobodies on the outskirts of society. 
Sometimes the greatest faith and wisdom is found in the voices and the personalities that are not the largest, are not the loudest, that don't have the most religious pedigree. Sometimes the greatest faith and wisdom is found in the quiet, faithful, humble voices like Mary. Now, I'm not trying to put Zechariah down here or throw him under the bus because I act like him way too much. And actually, if you keep reading Luke chapter 1, you realize that there's hope for skeptic pastors like me and Zechariah. Because after Mary sings her magnificent, magnificat, and man, is it magnificent. After that, Zechariah's voice is opened again. He gets on board with what God is doing. It just took him a little longer and it was way more painful for him. But his voice is opened and he sings his song of faith too. And it was in that moment, and it's in that moment, that we see that this whole story, this whole familiar story, it's not about Zechariah's faith and it's not about Mary's faith either. It's about God's faithfulness to them both. And that in God's great love for us, both skeptic pastors and marginalized nobodies, all of us become somebody in Jesus. That's why he was born. God's faithfulness required it. Born for all humanity, born to die for Zechariah, for Mary, for you, for me, and for my Catholic brother who got up at that memorial and sang off-key to honor his dear friend in Christ. And he's saying, Ave Maria, greetings Mary, Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed, blessed is the fruit of thy womb, thy womb, Jesus. Just like Mary, you are full of grace. Blessed are you. The Lord is with thee. Blessed is the Lord Jesus. Amen.